Hello, Philip. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. How's it going? Yeah, all good. All going well. So let's begin. Hey, hey, hey. Sure, if you'd like to. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the Decentralized Volume 3, the DeFi Expert Talks hosted by French Finance. This, this podcast is available on Spotify, Google, and Amazon Podcasts, YouTube, and many more. My name is Konstantin Shirog, and I'm the Marketing Director of Fringe Finance. Today, my guest is Philip from Juicebox DAO, and that's my great pleasure to speak with you, Philip. Please introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, it's a pleasure to speak with you, Konstantin. Uh, as you said, my name is Philip, uh, and I'm working on Juicebox DAO at the time being, but my background actually originally was as a trumpet player. Uh, so I used to work in live music, and then during the... COVID lockdowns, as you can imagine, a lot of the work that I was doing was gone. So I was spending a lot of time at home looking at Twitter and crypto uh, go crazy at the time, as everyone was. Uh, so I ended up getting involved uh, through a number of music NFT projects uh, and then found Juicebox in around November of 2021. Uh, so that was right around the time of Constitution Dow, which was a, cr a crazy period of time for everyone involved. Um, and then ended up being involved in a lot of other DAOs and projects along the way um, through Juicebox. I have heard a, a lot of different stories how people was onboarded into crypto, but through music, it's the first time. <laughs> Your path is quite unique. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, actually. Like One thing I've noticed is that of the people I've spoken with at Juicebox and other, a lot of other DAOs actually, almost everyone in crypto is a musician of some sort. People have some background, either playing an instrument or uh, they did music production, something like that. Uh, it's a weird correlation, uh, which I'm sure someone could analyze and uh, you know ascribe something to that. Funny fact is that I have musical background as well. I used to play in a couple of bands. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's, it's funny because I'm surprised, but I'm also not surprised. Yeah, correlation confirmed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking about DAO, last year has put DAOs at the crossroad and while the technology has proved itself to be superior to the current corporate management solution in many ways. We faced a couple of problems with legal and on the management side. What is the current state of the DAOs in the first quarter of this year? And what are the biggest challenges for, for DAOs, in your opinion? You know, I think DAOs are actually in a pretty good place uh, right now, all things considered, right? There isn't this massive... Um, you know, one thing that DAOs benefited from a lot over the past few years is this massive influx of money uh, from investors and speculators, stuff like that. And while that isn't as much the case anymore, I think all of the other things, the technology, uh, the legal situation, everything is just getting better over time. Because a lot of the difficulties that DAOs are dealing with are just growing pains that any industry will go through uh, in this early of a stage. So. Overall, I mean, of course, I'm biased, but I'm, I'm quite optimistic. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think it's a lot of these things, especially legal, are mostly just a matter of time. Uh, having regulators figure things out, having DAOs get greater adoption and greater understanding among the general 
public as to what a DAO actually is. Yeah, and speaking of the legal recognition, unless DAO is legally recognized, all its members are subject to unlimited liability. What are the most notorious precedents of such a liability currently? <laughs> are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, it's, it's kind of a, a funny question. I mean, that, that may or may not be true, depending on the circumstances of how the DAO works and all of this different stuff. Uh, but in general, I, I don't think DAOs are the first time that this has ever happened, and I don't think it'll be the last time either. Um, I mean, most of these society-changing industries were unregulated or poorly regulated in their early days. Like, a recent example is, uh, you know, people talk about AI and how we need all these AI ethics boards because the government is not going to do anything. But the same thing was true of the internet. The same thing was true before that of airlines. Uh, same thing was true before that of the, um, you know, industry in 19th century manufacturing cities. And same thing was true of food supplies. And th this is kind of just the story of technological growth is that uh, regulation kind of lags behind a little bit. Uh, and that's not to say that we shouldn't be careful with this stuff. Of course, we should be. But at the same time, uh, you know, we should be kind of pushing for better regulation. Um, I think the sooner we can get clear regulations on a lot of these things, the better off everyone will be. Um, and yeah, it sucks. There's a lot of shady characters doing bad things in crypto, right? Everyone knows about FTX and all of this stuff. Um, but I think the, the sooner we can get regulation to account for those things, uh, the sooner people who are actually trying to do good stuff will be more likely to get involved. Uh, because they won't have to deal with this kind of fear of not knowing. Do you think that when the you know, DAOs will be regulated, they will lose the first part of being decentralized? Well, I guess it depends on the regulation, right? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it depends. Um, I think there's certainly a degree of decentralization that you might lose with certain procedures, which we already see, uh, right? There's a reason why a lot of DAOs uh, and a lot of crypto projects in general will refuse to touch the United States uh, due to various regulations that make it hard to maintain decentralization. Um, but on the other hand, a truly decentralized DAO is not really, you know, it's kind of hard to regulate something like that or even understand how it would fit in with various regulatory frameworks. Um, so I, I don't know. I think we'll see. It kind of depends on a lot of different uh, circumstances. Yeah, one last question about that. You have touched the regulatory framework question. And do you think the United States is in the, in the vanguard of it? Or we should keep a close eye on you know, some uh, jurisdictions with more advanced uh, regulatory framework? Yeah, it's, you know, there, there are a lot of um, advantages when you're trying to regulate something as complex as cryptocurrency to the United States being as big as it is, uh, because you get to account for a lot of different situations. But at the same time, just being as big as it is, it cannot move as quickly. So a lot of smaller jurisdictions, uh, maybe I shouldn't say smaller, but jurisdictions which can move faster have made some interesting progress lately. Uh, so one example is 
uh, Marshall Islands has come out with some pretty interesting regulation uh, with MEDAO and some other groups. I know Portugal, I haven't been as up to date with the latest regulations, but Portugal has done some interesting stuff. Uh, and within the United States, there were some groups that tried to get things done. So, you know, there's the, the I think I want to say it's Wyoming uh, Dow legal structure, which some people seem to be pretty excited about, although some people are not as excited about that. But I think, I think the biggest problem in the U.S. right now is kind of a lack of consistency as to how various laws are applied. Uh, so it seems like a lot of these cases are uh, a bit of regulation by prosecution or whatever the phrase is, whatever you want to call it, uh, where various congressional staffers or people who uh, get involved with these things, people at regulatory agencies, uh, will not uh, enforce these laws or these kind of precedents that they have equally across the board. Uh, and we kind of saw this with, uh, with the Ripple lawsuit, uh, same thing with the Pool Together lawsuit. It's a lot of these things which seem more based around publicity and, um, you know, kind of arbitrary conjecture rather than uh, a consistent application of the precedents established by the law, uh, which is tough. It's, it's tough to, like, see that and then build with confidence. And I think it's leading to uh, a lot of the, the kind of drain from the United States in terms of people who are working in crypto going abroad to Europe or traveling or just uh, getting out of the United States in general. Constantine, you there? Yeah, yeah, I was speaking with microphone muted. Uh, I'm saying that even in the, even inside of the United States, there are different, you know, options. There is a federal level, there is a state level. So for, for the members and for the creators of DAO, there are different ways how they can, which way can they follow? I'm sorry, could you, I'm not sure I understand 100%. Could you maybe rephrase that a little bit? I apologize. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm saying so, uh, that even uh, inside of the United States, you have mentioned that uh, there is a, an uncertainty regarding the legal status of DAOs. And I'm saying that it can be divided into different levels of the legal system in the US. So yeah. it can be different and, uh, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, and, and we've seen a lot of adoption uh, from regulators, uh, sometimes within smaller jurisdictions um, in the past for various industries. So a lot of times uh, different states will adopt legislature before there's a federal bill addressing something. Uh, and although we've seen that activity slow down a little bit as the kind of market excitement around crypto has gone down a little bit, I'm still kind of I'm still optimistic for a lot of these changes. So I think there's various legislatures that are looking at bills, proposing various things. And I think we'll see a lot more um, kind of useful regulation on a state level before we'll see any kind of sweeping federal regulations. Although, who knows? It's, it's so hard to predict the future. But uh, yeah, I think you're definitely right about that. Yeah, absolutely. But let's narrow our discussion from all things DAO to the subject of today. And our topic is DAO treasury management. What it is, 
exactly and how we, would you describe it in the plainest words possible yeah treasury management is an interesting one uh, because you know everyone will say that one thing is treasury management and one thing is other and the definition of dao is quite controversial as well uh, but i would say that treasury management is uh, managing assets under the control of a dao and how decisions are made regarding those things uh, as well as the inflows and outflows of funds Well, the projects uh, that have not diversified the treasuries have seen a drastic decline in the, the available capital due to the bear market. What has happened? Uh, can you describe what has happened with our treasuries in the last year and what conclusion can we make out of it? Yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting trend, uh, which, you know, everyone is, you know, everyone involved with DAOs is feeling. Uh, but I think a lot of that is... You know, as much as it sucks that people are losing money because of a failure to diversify assets, at the same time, it does make sense to me uh, because in many ways, DAOs are a bet on the future of cryptocurrency. Uh, so it makes sense that people who would believe in cryptocurrency would be involved with DAOs and people who would believe in cryptocurrency would keep their funds in cryptocurrency. Now, is this the best capital management strategy over the short to medium term next few years? Probably not. You know, it's probably better to diversify, uh, get some uh, working capital and stable coins or something like that. Stable but, coins, right. Yeah, stable co or, or, or something else entirely. Um, but at the same time, uh, I do think that, you know, in some ways it makes sense because if you're working in a DAO, you do believe in the future of cryptocurrency and maybe that won't manifest, uh, you know, obviously in the price over the next few years. Uh, but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I think people expect these things to be uh, at a higher price point, at a greater level of adoption, all of these sorts of things. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it's, it does, it is unfortunate and I feel for a lot of DAOs who have had to scale back operations or, uh, you know, even shut down as a result of the market downturn. But at the same time, uh, it's, it's a bet on cryptocurrency and we all kind of already knew that. Um, so I think in some ways it's, actually okay yeah so it's a question whether they have enough for the capital even in the bear market to maintain the activities and development yeah i mean of course everyone wishes you could predict the price perfectly um but you know uh it's 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 kind of impossible to do that so the, i think the best you can do is make sure you have enough working capital to cover any real expenses and then beyond that just try to make prudent decisions I mean, I think we are, as DAOs, generally overexposed to cryptocurrency. Um, so there, there is an argument to be made that it's like, okay, well, if ETH goes to a million, you're going to be one of the first adopters and get a bunch of money anyway. So from a risk management perspective, it actually makes sense to maybe even bias towards fiat currencies uh, for that reason. Not necessarily US, but fiat in general. Um, but, you know, again, it's kind of like this uh funny problem that, which i think in some ways is is all right you know um but yeah i see i see both perspectives on it and i think what you said is definitely true as well it's like you should have enough money to uh to cover your expenses at the least 
yeah, uh, the risk management is not the best side <laughs> currently of the house. Yeah, yeah. We can uh, what is the current? Yeah, yeah. Please go on. No, no. That's that's all I was saying. I, I think I think one advantage of the kind of corporate model of working is that those people take risk very seriously, and I think a lot of DAOs are learning that the hard way. Uh, but I, I apologize for interrupting. Please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. That's a question of the on which stage the industry is currently, and with DAOs, obviously, well at the very nascent stage. Completely. Yeah my, yeah, my question was, what is the current landscape of DAO treasury management tools and how are they assisting in the functioning of DAOs? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. Uh, I, I do a lot of Dune queries, like various analytics, just because I'm you know, kind of interested in looking at these different trends over time. And what I've seen, at least in what I've looked at, is that Gnosis Safe, or, or now it's called Safe, is far and ahead, uh, or far and away ahead of basically every other treasury management tool out there. Um, and, and that's not to say that there aren't other tools with great adoption, uh, right? Like Juicebox is, you know, great adoption. Syndicate has great adoption. Aragon has great adoption. But Gnosis Safe is just so widely utilized. Um, for, for this sort of thing. And for good reason, actually. Gnosis Safe is a fantastic tool. I, I personally use it. Um, but I think I'm excited to see more, you know, no, Safe is fantastic for managing funds with a small group of people, especially because it works with so many other tools. But I'm excited to see more tools uh, gain adoption that can work at a, at a bit of a larger scale. Uh, so Safe does not really work for groups of, say, larger than you know, 12, 20 people uh, at the most. So I think as we see more uh, accessible governance, more robust tools for managing this type of stuff, we can see some larger groups uh, and, and, and medium-sized groups as well kind of form and, and manage themselves more easily within the world of crypto. Uh, like it's important to remember actually, a lot of the uh, companies in South America and Africa and China that are forming right now and who are instead of issuing equity, issuing tokens uh, as their equity, a lot of them are manually minting those tokens with a tool like, uh, you know, with like Coinbase or something like that, which is great. You know, I, I, Coinbase is a very useful tool, but the fact that these people are manually managing a lot of this stuff in spreadsheets and then manually minting tokens, uh, it's kind of funny actually how, how early everything is uh, in that regard. Um, so anyway, as for as for treasury management, right now it seems like Gnosis Safe is far and away ahead of everything. But I think we'll see a lot of these tools that work better at larger scales uh, become adopted over the next year or two. Yeah. So our guest Philip, as you already know, represents Juicebox DAO. So in particular, what Juicebox DAO is doing, and how yeah. it is different from other tools that you have mentioned. Yeah, I like this uh, represents Juicebox DAO. It's, you know, it's interesting because anyone can represent Juicebox DAO. There's no, you know, there's no official guidelines or anything like that. Um, but anyway, it's besides the point. So as to what Juicebox DAO is doing, um, it, a, a lot of people will already be familiar with Juicebox from projects like Constitution DAO and Assange DAO, these big fundraisers, which it works very well for. Uh, but it's also used by a lot of people who are doing um, like 
writing, bloggers, content creators, NFT projects, open source software. Uh, people use it for managing all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, and the mechanisms that it works with is basically uh, programmable token issuance. Like you can kind of manage tokenomics through it and how tokens are issued over time. Uh, it manages payroll, uh, like payouts, payroll management, that kind of thing. And it also manages redemptions. So the way it works is when people pay your project, they receive your project's token according to the rules of whatever your project is. Um, and there are levers you can control to control how many tokens they receive in that case. And then once they have these tokens, um, according to the rules of your project, they can redeem these tokens for a partial refund. Uh, and, and that doesn't make very much sense at first, but when you start looking at um, the, the way people implement it, it starts to make sense. So for example, with ConstitutionDAO, uh, people were giving them money and receiving this ConstitutionDAO token in exchange. And then when they failed to get the Constitution, they could put all of the money back into the treasury and allow people to redeem their tokens uh, to fully reclaim their, uh, their contribution, minus the gas fees, of course. Um, and then you can see that work on a smaller scale uh, for managing these like ongoing software projects. So Juicebox DAO, for example, uh, runs on the platform itself. And we manage all of our payouts and all of the things like that on the protocol uh, with, with Juicebox. Uh, and our governance token is the token that's issued by the protocol. And we find that it's actually a very effective mechanism to get uh, these tokens into the right hands. Uh, so not only are our tokens continuously issued, which can be a benefit, um, but also there's a, a reserve rate where a portion of tokens which are minted can be reserved for a set list of addresses. Uh, and we find that this is a very effective way to scale up governance. Uh, and, and there's a bunch of other functionality, you know, it mints NFTs, uh, does all sorts of stuff, on-chain governance. Um, but in general, it's kind of a way to programmably manage uh, projects and manage those funds. Uh, which can scale from a very small scale to a very big scale effectively. Nice, nice to know about that. Uh, in that, you know, programmably uh, management of DAO treasuries. Uh, what are the biggest problems that, you know, they currently the, pro the project is currently facing? Uh, you're saying that Juicebox DAO is currently facing? Yeah, yes. yeah. Particularly about Juicebox DAO. That's a good question. Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest problems is uh, the protocol has, I mean, this is like kind of a first world problem, but the protocol has so much functionality and can do so many things and work for so many use cases that it can almost be difficult to decide which use case exactly to communicate. Uh, I mean, you heard it just now, you asked me what does Juicebox DAO, and I, or what does Juicebox do? And I talked for like 15 minutes and uh, didn't even really get a comprehensive answer on all of the different mechanisms. Uh, so the, the thing that I find is that a lot of other tools with uh, maybe less functionality than Juicebox that cannot do quite as many things as Juicebox uh, will often find more adoption among a particular audience because they target a particular audience. Um, so a tool that markets itself as the best crypto tool for bloggers, for example, 
uh, will find a lot of adoption among bloggers, even if the tool is not as good for bloggers as what Juicebox is doing. Uh, so figuring out how we can communicate all of the different mechanisms and figuring out how we can communicate the different use cases for those mechanisms uh, is something that at least is on my mind uh, right now. Philip, you know how to speak about the downsides. What is the biggest problem? The project has too much great features. <laughs> what a nice answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah it, to, to be honest, though, it's real. Like, it's, a real, it's a real pain. And if we do not solve that problem uh, and Juicebox DAO does not get adoption, it's like this protocol could go away, you know? So, well, the protocol can't go away. It's on the blockchain. But, uh, but it's a yeah, serious true. issue. I, I know it sounds like a first world problem, but it's it's a complex protocol. You know, the thing is complex. It's not like, a, you know, it's not a simple tool. And, and trying to get people to understand what it is that this thing does, especially when most people like, you know, don't even have a MetaMask or trying to figure out all of the craziness with crypto. It's, it's actually a serious problem. So, um, you know, I, I apologize if it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but to me, it feels real. <laughs> I do you know the story behind the creation of Juicebox DAO. Where does the name come from? Yeah, the, the story of Juicebox DAO is one that's pretty interesting. And it was interesting for me to learn as well, because I came into Juicebox a little bit later, actually, a few months after it had launched. Um, so Juicebox was largely the work of two people, actually, uh, or a, a smaller group, but... Uh, mostly Django, who was kind of managing the contract side of things, the protocol side of things, and Perry, who was managing the front ends and this initial implementation of the website, juicebox.money. Um, so my understanding, and you'll have to ask them for all of the details, because uh, I just have kind of a cursory understanding of this. Uh, but my understanding is that the original idea was funding for software projects, where a lot of these software projects kind of make uh, not necessarily too much money, but uh, they make money in a way that doesn't necessarily correlate with their needs. Uh, so the original process was, or the original question is, how can we fund software projects in a sustainable way? Uh, and Django and Perry had both been involved in software projects before. Uh, so they started working on this project, uh, which was initially called Fountain, I think. Um, which corresponded to some, some certain mechanisms with the funding. Um, and when they started it, I don't think the, the goal was to have it as this tool for DAOs or tool for other people. I think the idea was generally to use it to fund their own software projects or maybe some other people's software projects. So the first project which launched when Juicebox actually came about, oh, and, and the name was, I want to say, a suggestion from uh, Sage, who was a, a friend of theirs. Uh, and did all of the art. So if you go on juicebox.money, like the bananas, all those characters, that was all her work. Um, but w when Juicebox DAO launched, the first project, it's, or when Juicebox launched, the first project was Juicebox DAO. And then the second project was Tiles, which was actually an art project made by Perry, uh, which was, you know, they were kind of ch testing it out, seeing if it would work. And it ended up being actually a very large success. Uh, which led to SharkDAO being made on Juicebox, which led to Constitution DAO, which led to a bunch of other stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, you get the general idea. So it's like you started, they started with this idea for software management or uh, software project uh, funding. And then 
DAOs kind of came around at that time as a, a much bigger thing, and they ended up loving the protocol. So a bunch of DAOs are using it now, but a bunch of other people are using it as well. So a uh, little bit of everything. Yeah, many times it's a great uh, way that founders start solving the, the problem that they have themselves, like in this case. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you so have... That's the ultimate, yeah. ultimate way to know your user, right, is to be your own user. Um... Yeah, you have mentioned that anyone can be a representative for Juicebox DAO. What exactly is your role? And what exactly is your role, what you are doing for Juicebox DAO? Um, yeah, yeah. So anyone, well, uh, first of all, I'll mention quickly that anyone can actually be a representative for Juicebox DAO. So it kind of has an open contribution policy uh, where anyone can pitch in and help with any of the various things that we're working on. Uh, and if, if people want to get involved, uh, I recommend joining the Discord, discord.gg slash juicebox um, and send a message. People will send you information. Uh, and you can get started contributing to all of the various things that we're working on. Um, but as for what my specific responsibilities are, uh, one thing that's nice about being in a DAO actually is that you don't need to have a specific, uh, specifically defined role. So when I got involved in Juicebox, the first things I was doing uh, were kind of involved in operations, tooling. I did a lot of work on governance and uh, you know, our governance process, how we make decisions, stuff like that. But over time, I've gotten more involved into the, uh, you know, development side of things, as well as various other projects. Uh, so lately, I did a project involving uh, security and risk management, stuff like that. Um, but uh, a little bit all over the place. I kind of just go to where I think the DAO needs the most help and try to solve as many problems as possible. Uh, which is which is actually quite fun. Uh, you know, it's like you get a lot of variety in day-to-day -day activities. Uh, is your involvement currently on a volunteer basis? Uh, no, so I, I receive a, a payout from Juicebox now, uh, as do many other contributors. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have like a, a, a day job, you know, so I work, I work for Juicebox now, and then I also do some other crypto-related projects on the side, but uh, Juicebox DAO is like my main employment. Oh, got it, got it. Uh, you have mentioned that there are a lot of different feature and use cases of Juicebox DAO, but what, what are, uh, which one of them is the most popular currency? And what is the profile of the projects that start uh, and work with Juicebox DAO? Mm. Uh, when you say the most popular currency, are you talking about uh, like token? No, not currency. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about currency. I'm talking about what what features are the most popular among the projects that are onboarded. And the second question is what oh, types of projects? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I apologize. I misheard you. Um, well, I would say that we get um, yeah we get adoption from a pretty diverse crowd of people. Uh, so everyone is, or most people at least, are familiar with a lot of these big fundraisers. So things like Constitution DAO, Assange DAO, Moon DAO, uh, people who use Juicebox to raise thousands of ETH and then, you know, manage payouts and do all sorts of stuff with that. But we also have a lot of people uh, who are working on kind of smaller scale projects. Uh, so we have a lot of bloggers, writers, 
content creators, like people who have Twitter audiences and, um, you know, they have a lot of uh, followers, they have a big following, but they don't exactly know how to monetize things. Um, so we, we saw that recently with uh, Gabriel Haynes. He's been doing this kind of uh, project on Juicebox where people can buy a token. Uh, and then when they buy a token, they send in a little message of what they want him to talk about. And then he'll make a short video for them, uh, which has actually worked out very well for, for his audience and all of that stuff. Um, but we've also had NFT projects on the platform, uh, open source software projects who are managing their payroll and stuff using the protocol. Um, you know, it's a little bit of everything. Uh, so it is DAOs, but it's also independently managed projects of people who are doing something cool, whether it's art or something else, and are just trying to fund it. Um, yeah. And, and then there's also people using it like GoFundMe, you know, people raise money for uh, their pet dog or something like that. People using it for their startup, uh, you know, so it's, it's a little bit of everything. Yeah, I love the example of Gabriel Hans that you mentioned. It's like tokenized version of Cameo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, what, what, what is that? Uh... Oh, yeah, Cameo. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that was, I think, the inspiration behind it. But uh, you'd have to ask him about the specifics. Um, how does your protocol handle security and risk management? Quite an important topic, oh, good... uh, if we yeah, if we consider topic. yeah the treasury management. Yeah, yeah. Well, treasury, yeah, treasury management is part of risk management, but uh, I think at least from our perspective, uh, the number one uh, you know kind of thing we want to be careful about with security is the security of the protocol, uh, and as well the front end and various other pieces of code to 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 various extents. But we take uh, security very seriously. Uh, and a lot of that tone is set by Django and some other kind of early contributors. Uh, but in general, I think kind of why people pay fees and, you know, use Juicebox and all of this stuff is because of how seriously we take security. So we audit everything. Uh, we use, we do Code Arena audits, actually, uh, which I find to be fantastic. I think Code Arena does a great job. Um, but yeah, I mean, in general, we spend a ton of time working on tests, doing various fork testing, testing all the different bits of functionality. Um, you know, a lot of code reviews, uh, very systematic processes for that sort of thing. And so far we haven't had any, um, any exploits, uh, you know, come to fruition on Juicebox, which we're very grateful for, you know. Uh, a lot of other protocols of the size of Juicebox have had one or more kind of serious exploits, but uh, Juicebox, thankfully, despite the fact that something like $270 million or something around there has gone through the protocol, uh, we have not yet had anyone sub, you know, uh, fall to an exploit. So hopefully we can keep that up, you know, knock on wood. But so far, it's, it's been working, uh, our practices. Fantastic results regarding the volume. And do we have something like a, an insurance fund in case something happens? Uh, we, we've discussed it in the past. Uh, at the, we, we don't have an insurance fund uh, right now, uh, just because of the, you know, frankly, the volume of, of funds that are on the protocol, it would be quite difficult to get insurance for. Um, and it's kind of unclear as to what would actually happen if there were like a really serious, 
you know, kind of systemic threat to, to the ecosystem. Like, for example, if, if there's an exploit in uh, Tether or DAI or USDC or in, in Gnosis Safe or Ledger or one of these technologies that everyone is using, it's not exactly clear that a lot of these insurance providers would give us the payout or, you know, manage that for us. So it's something we're open to. And if there's a, a good offer that comes along or someone who's doing a really good product that we think makes sense, uh, I think there's no reason why not. But at the moment, we don't have anything set up for those reasons. Completely makes sense. And we're coming to the last question today. Uh, what is the Judebox roadmap for the ah, coming year? The roadmap. Yes. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, it, you know, it's interesting. Like we we're kind of pushing on so many different fronts, right? There's uh, people who are working in different groups, working on different projects. Um, so I could take you through a list and like name out 10, 15 different projects that people are working on right now. But I think instead, I'll highlight some of the things that I think are most interesting, that I'm most excited about. So one of those things is governance, uh, right? So a lot of Juicebox projects have used uh, snapshot for governance in the past, and we have strategies and things for people which work very well. Uh, but for on-chain governance, uh, although we've had various ways to kind of make it work, we haven't really had any major projects use on-chain governance, at least so far. Uh, but that's kind of changing now uh, because now we have these NFTs uh, and the NFTs from a contractual perspective. Uh, so uh, just for some context, we have NFT tiers, which people can receive when they pay a project. So if someone pays a project 0.1 ETH, for example, they get the lowest tier, 0.2 ETH, they can get a higher tier. And there's all sorts of you know, functionality baked into those, including uh, voting power because uh, the, the NFTs can be uh, ERC721 votes. Yeah, basically. Uh, so I'm excited to see more of this governance stuff rolling into the front end, as well as some other various governance projects we've been working on. Another one is uh, ERC-20 payment terminals. So right now, uh, Juicebox projects that are managed through the front end, through juicebox.money, are only accepting ETH. But we do have uh, the contracts out there, which would make it possible to accept every single type of ERC-20. And not just to have one ERC-20 or one type of token accepted for projects, but to have projects which span across multiple payment terminals or in, in short projects which can accept all of these different currencies and manage them all, um, you know, with the protocols, various mechanisms in real time. Uh, so that's something that we have the capability for from a contractual perspective, uh, which just hasn't yet been pulled into the, the front end of the Juicebox website. So... I'm excited to see that happen as well. Uh, so governance and you know more uh, robust treasury management are the two things I'm most excited for. But to be honest, there's like hundreds, you know, not hundreds, but there's a bunch of different exciting projects that people are working on. So if people are interested in getting involved or learning more, I recommend just joining the Discord server, uh, checking out all the various channels because people will be talking about that stuff in there. Yeah. Thank you for the great perspective on that. Uh, it was decentralized volume free. The DeFi expert talk hosted by Fringe Finance. Uh, the podcast is available on Twitter, Spotify, Google, Amazon podcasts, YouTube, and many more. Subscribe to keep in touch for the new episodes. Thank you, Philip, for attending. Yeah, thank you, Constantine.
You know, if you have a few minutes, actually, I, I'm interested in hearing about fringe finance. I'm, I'm not too familiar. I, I looked into it a little bit, but I'd love to hear uh, your perspective. Sure, sure. Uh, fringe finance is a lending borrowing protocol. Uh, our main goal is to provide lending markets utility for long tail assets, including the ones that currently don't have that opportunity in the market. Uh, lending markets can be used not only by retail token holders, by, but by protocols themselves and any DAO treasury management tools. <laughs> uh, at the moment, we have integ integrated 36 assets that are available as the collateral with a combined debt limit of more than 180 million USD. And we are working on a couple of the items in our roadmap that includes the support for multi-chain, the leveraged lending and borrowing, uh, introduction of fringe finance DAO, and many more. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how these things evolve. Yeah, please, please feel free to let me know. Send me, you have my, my Telegram, so feel free to send me messages as you guys have new features rolling out and stuff like that. Sure, sure. Thank you for attending once again. We'll keep in touch. Yeah, of course. Yeah, great speaking with you, Constantine. Have a good day. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye.